You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to episode 142 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Recording today over Skype. On Monday's show, we all get to rejoice in the third Hokies win of the season as we break down the 40-14 win over Boston College. It all gets started right now. Welcome back to the Tech Sideline Podcast. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher. However, you consume the Tech Sideline podcast. We are so glad that you could join us as we record on Monday morning, October 19th. Our crew today, we have our general manager and founder, Will Stewart, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Again, it's great to have you with us, and we have a great show planned for today. A reminder that this week and every week, the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, and to date, the firm has defended tens of thousands of people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at one 800 680-7031. Again, that number, 1-800-680-7031. Or you can email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. Gentlemen, good morning. It is great to be back with you. Chris Coleman, how are you? How was your weekend? Uh, Saturday was good. Sunday was not so good. Uh, Not a good sports day for me. For all three of my teams. That's right. The Packers lost to the Buccaneers. Uh, they were up ten to nothing at the end of the first quarter and lost thirty-eight to ten. The Braves lost game seven, and Tottenham got up three nothing, but then gave up three goals in the last ten minutes of the game. And really? Tied. Wow! Because yeah. I <clears throat> I saw that that was on in. Well, it uh, was the bi- it was the it was the big deal. Like their their superstar Gareth Bale came back from Real Madrid, so all the hype was around Gareth Bale and everything like that. And you know he came off the bench and everything because he's not quite in shape yet. As soon as he came on the pitch, they got outscored three nothing. Not that it was his fault, but it was just it. It was almost like he comes on the field and everybody's just watching him because it's such a big story. And then bam, just like that, three goals and it's tied. Anyway, so that was my Sunday. <laughs> well, you, you know, at least you my did Saturday have was better. Yeah. Yes. No question about that. Um, meanwhile, I don't know if any of us had as good a weekend as Will Stewart getting to do something really unique. Will, where did you go this weekend? Went out of town Thursday night and spent Friday at the Biltmore down in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, first time I'd been there. Very cool place. Uh, a lot of cool history. It's the largest private home in, uh, United States. And it was built by, it was built by, uh, it wasn't built by Cornelius Vanderbilt himself. It was built by uh, one of his sons. I can't remember if it was a son or a grandson. You know, I, I got to go back and reread, but uh, <laughs> that was exhausting. I was on my feet all day Friday and 
I'm a dude who sits at his desk all day, but uh, great stuff. Highly recommended. And probably most interesting thing was that my wife and I got there early, like a half hour before the Biltmore opened. And we, we went up. To, so there's a big lawn that once you come out of the woods, there's a big lawn that you go across to reach the Biltmore. Uh, but the point I'm getting ready to make here is we got there early enough that there was basically nobody around. So we got to take pictures of the house from a distance with nobody like standing in line or walking around or anything like that. So it was kind of cool. So if you ever go, I recommend getting there early. But uh, I, I love that kind of stuff. It was outstanding. Yeah, looking forward to maybe seeing some pictures later in the week. Sounds like a really cool trip. Again, great to have you with us. Episode 142 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're going to recap Virginia Tech's 40-14 to win over Boston College, what it all means. Uh, again, looking forward to a great show today. Uh, a reminder, the Tech Sideline Podcast also brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You know, we're coming up on Halloween, which means we're getting closer to November which means we're getting closer from fall to winter, which means we're getting closer to wrestling season. And uh, I actually saw a video of their golf tournament from last week on social media, Will. And uh, it's it's really cool to see those wrestlers out of their element and, and getting to do things like going to the golf course. It just I bring all that up because it just feels like the there's a family environment that has been built inside that program by Tony Roby, and it, it continues to grow each year in talent as well. Yeah, he's he's really got something going on there. I'm I'm really impressed with the recruiting and what he's done with the Southeast Regional Training Center and and staffing that up. And I'm trying to picture wrestlers out golfing. I bet it I bet it looked even funnier than when I go golfing. I it might have been on Makai Lewis's Instagram. And coach, if you're listening, I apologize to bring this up, but he put a video of Coach Roby on the tee. And poor Coach Roby shanked this ball just wide right. Uh, so was, uh, the wrestlers they got a big laugh out of it, and Coach Roby had a smile on his face, too. It was all in good fun. So I uh, hope it was a good time. And, again, uh, Tech Sideline Podcast and Tech Sideline um, being brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Great to have them on board. With that, let's go ahead and dive right into it. Virginia Tech moved a 3-1 and on Saturday at Lane Stadium, a 40-14 to win over Boston College, a team that came into Lane Stadium with a lot of momentum. The Hokies ran for over 300 yards as a team. They also had five defensive takeaways. Chris, I want to start with you on this because you watched the game. It was close early on, and Boston College really shot themselves in the foot early with some of the turnovers they had offensively. My question to you to begin the show, did Virginia Tech win this game or did Boston College lose this game given all the turnovers they had and and, uh, the momentum they gave to Virginia Tech? Yeah, that's a really good question. I I think you have to give Tech credit for forcing a couple of those turnovers, like the two fumbles by the running backs. Yeah, one of them was after a 14-yard gain, but you know, still Virginia Tech put the hits on those running backs and forced the fumbles, right? But the others were the tight end ran into the quarterback and the quarterback just kind of threw the ball at the running back and and then that 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 interception that he threw to Devin Taylor that was just horrible. Uh, I mean, it was a little bit of both. I uh I think Tech won it, but I certainly I don't think Boston College gave gave themselves a chance to win it. That that's for sure. When you have five turnovers, it's hard to win, and it's it's hard to not get blown out when you have five turnovers, and that that that's what happened to BC. So here's a little 
little nugget. Um, last year, so th this time the turnover margin was five nothing. Uh, BC had five and Tech had none. And uh, last year, it was almost the opposite. Virginia Tech turned it over five times. Now Boston College did have one turnover. And Chris, you talked about the uh, you know the statement you made that triggered this statistic is you said it's hard to not get blown out when you turn it over five times. Virginia Tech turned it over five times last year and only lost by a touchdown. Yeah, tech, yeah, it was thirty-five twenty-eight last year, and and I, now I, I admit that I haven't done a study of this, but I think I think Justin Fuente is really good at when his team isn't playing well. There are exceptions, okay. Let's let's not laugh at me. Don't at me, bro. When it, when <laughs> when things are not going well for his team, he's still really good at keeping it close. Mm -hmm. You know, and and yes, they're. Like you look at that UNC game, everybody came away feeling like, man, UNC really mowed Tech over. No, they didn't. They only beat them by 11 points. And then there's another good example where the uh, turnover ratio last year was five to one, and, and Tech was in it right till the end. Yeah, uh, Clemson ACC championship game that year. You know, you felt like Clemson was much much better, but Virginia Tech just found a way. You know, they were down 14 nothing, and they came back, and then they were down 35 to 14, and they came back. So yeah, I would agree with that. They they always. Outside of the obvious last Duke, year's Duke game, Duke. <laughs> right? Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Outside of that, and then, yeah, um, Virginia Tech makes a habit of staying in football games, even maybe when they shouldn't. Uh, even, you know, last year, Notre Dame uh, with a, with Quincy Patterson at quarterback when their playbook was so limited offensively that, that they still found ways to stay in the game. And and Frank had, had you know, Frank's way of keeping games close was to, you know, uh, particularly earlier in his career was to kind of control the ball on offense and play defense and special teams. And one of the reasons Frank was so successful in building the program was that's a philosophy that if you're out talented, you, you can keep the game close. Now the problem is when you do have more talent than the other team, it also tends to keep the game close. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But the, the whole reason I bring that up is the way that Frank kept it close and the way that Fuente keeps it close. It's two different ways, you know, but, uh, that's something I've been impressed with uh, Fuente throughout his career at Tech is there have been games where you thought, oh, man, this thing's going down the toilet, and it doesn't, you know? So sorry about that tangent, Evan. No, tangents are great. You know, looking back to the week prior, Virginia Tech gave up 56 points to North Carolina, over 600 yards of offense for the Tar Heels. They force five turnovers against Boston College and limit the Eagles to just 14 points. Will, what was better about the defense this past weekend compared to North Carolina? So this actually ties into the first question. And I'm going to go into, I started working on my Monday article last night. And one of the things I'm looking at is, is uh, and, and I'm discussing how, you know, five turnovers just kind of throws your game plan out the window. And, so I do a little breakdown uh, and I present, you know, Boston College's um, run pass ratio. Um, and it's like, so like earlier in the first, quor first quarter, they ran it nine times and they only passed it five times. And this is a team that coming in had more passes than rushes. Um, I don't remember the exact uh, uh, count of plays, but they, they probably run it, I think, about 55 or 60, excuse me, pass it about 55 or 60 percent of the time. So one of the things to watch in this game was having seen the UNC game film was Boston College just going to come out and run it. And they kind of did in that first quarter. Yes, they mixed the pass in, but they also did a lot of running right up the middle. And as you mentioned, they, they shot themselves in the foot 
I think they turned it over on their first two drives, and these were drives that looked like they were going for touchdowns. Um, and so it, in my mind, and I get into this in detail, and I'll get into this in detail in my article, BC kind of kept with their offensive game plan until they got down 17-7, to 7, and then things really started shifting. And then they just kept turning it over. So by the time you get to the fourth quarter, they run it three times, and they pass it 24 times, you know, and it just – so that kind of evolved throughout the game. Yeah, that's that's a good take. Uh, I think I wrote in my article yesterday that in the first two drives of the game, the Boston College running backs combined for six carries, and it would have been a seventh carry, you know, were it not for that botched handoff on, on the second drive of the game. And then for the, for the rest of the game, which is – the second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, plus six minutes of the first quarter, their tailbacks only carried it 12 times, right? Yeah. So they came out dedicated to the running game early, which they had not been all year. If you recall, they had 53 passes against US, UNC and only ran it 19 times, three of which were sacks, right? So they're quick to give up on the run or because they just don't think they can do it, but they thought they could do it against Virginia Tech because they watched that UNC film. And... They did it early, man. They had a couple of 14-yard uh, runs right up the gut. That first fumble was on a 14-yard run. Like They were going to score on that drive if they didn't fumble because Tech sure as heck couldn't stop them early in the game. So, uh, But it seems like they just quit. They were like, okay, these design runs were either fumbling or we've got the tight end running into the running into the quarterback. So, yeah, we're gaining some yards on them, but we can't have turnovers, so we're just going to stop doing it. Um, so – so, Evan, to directly answer your question, you said, you know, what changed, what got better. Um, I thought early in the game, Tech's uh, coverage in the passing game looked shaky. Um, mm-hmm. But by the fourth quarter, they were all over Boston College's wide receivers. And, 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 and I think that's just a measure of BC got way behind and the game plan went out the window. Tech knew what they were going to do. So let's talk about Virginia Tech's secondary for a moment because the last couple of weeks, Virginia Tech has been hit hard uh, by not having their full uh, secondary available against Duke and North Carolina. Against Boston College, Breon Murray did return and collected his second interception of the season. Also saw Devin Taylor get some action in the secondary, and he stepped up in a big way. And, of course, Dorian Strong, folks, had one of, I thought, the underrated plays of the game, which we'll get to in just a moment. Chris, your thoughts of the secondary with Murray back. How much better did it look? Uh, Quite a bit better. Uh, they still struggle in zone, and, and BC picked apart that for quite a bit of the game. I do think Tech played a little more man in, in the second half, although I'll leave that to Brandon Patterson to say because I haven't gone back and watched the tape. That was just my takeaway watching it live. But uh, it's difficult to play zone when you've had so many guys out and so many guys changing position and missing practices. And, you know, let's let's take Devin Taylor. For example, he's the perfect example, and I wrote about this yesterday in my article. He actually didn't transfer from Illinois State until I believe it was mid to late August. And then you have to go through COVID protocol. I I doubt he went through his first full contact practice at Virginia Tech until very early September. And then just like that, practice gets shut down and all that. And he he plays against NC State. Then he misses the Duke game for COVID-related issues, comes back the day before the UNC game, plays eight snaps, 
And all this time he's at cornerback, right? So he didn't even get much practice time at cornerback. And now all of a sudden leading up to the Boston College game, it's like, oh, we want you to start at safety this week. And so he just moves to safety and has to learn an entire new position all the, all, all the while while transitioning, of course, from the FCS to the FBS level. So that's just one example. And he's not the only guy that, that has had to play multiple positions in, in, a, in just a few weeks, basically, uh, at the very least in practice where they're cross-training guys at different positions. So when there's that much movement, like zone coverage re- requires cohesiveness, and you can't de- develop that cohesiveness when – so many guys are out and so many guys are, are changing positions and things like that. So ideally, things settle down, things stabilize in the secondary. And, and the more they stabilize, the, the better that zone coverage should get. So um, I'm sitting here looking through uh, postgame quotes as Chris is talking. And, and Fuente talked about Devin Taylor and he said he had a week of practice at safety and did a really good job. So he did. He was able to get a full week of, of practice in at safety. And Devon Diablo later said about Devin Taylor, he's really smart. He didn't lean on me much because he knew what he was doing. Coach Ham did a good job of making it simple for the guys, and we just went out and executed. He, and I assume here he's talking about Devin Taylor, he just focused on the motions and staying deep. So I think he was uh, paying attention to what receivers were going into motion. So uh, I, I texted Chris during the game. I thought there were a couple instances where Taylor just – really didn't stick his head in there and, and really didn't make the tackle. And probably the biggest example of that was when they had Zay Flowers on the sideline and uh, they they didn't take him down. And Taylor had the best shot at him. And, and that's the play where Flowers actually scored, but they, they brought it back because he stepped out of bounds. And then I think there was another uh, play later where I wasn't impressed with Taylor's tackling. And I texted Chris and he talked me down out of my tree by pointing out to me that the, the guy just hasn't had a lot of practice, you know. And so that's a solid point. I'll love, I'll love, I'll love kind of take that into account. But well, you're, uh, you're, so. you're not wrong, though. Uh, if you go back and read Brandon Patterson's scouting report on him at Illinois mm-hmm. State, tackling was like, it wasn't like a weakness, but it wasn't a strength either. Right. So you're not wrong. Okay, fair enough. want to bring up Dorian Strong real quick, somebody who is kind of thrown into action against Duke. You know, he's low on that depth chart coming into the season. He's a true freshman and he had a huge play on a deep ball down the middle of the field towards the red zone and just got his hand on a deep ball from Phil Dracovic and was able to uh, deflect it. Will, how much progression have we seen from Dorian Strong and just how bright of a future do you think he has in this program? Uh, we started here, if I remember correctly, we started here in early on in practice that they were impressed with him. Yep, and we actually heard all the way back to when he committed to Tech and when he signed that it was like the Tech coaches felt like, wow, we really found a good player, and he just didn't go to anybody else's camp, so nobody knows about him. Yeah, and yeah. so so the, the play you're talking about, uh, Evan, and, and so this is, this is really important. Boston College has uh, three or four weapons offensively, offensively, depending on how you look at it. One of them is the quarterback, which I heard pronounced Jerkovic and Jerkovic. We'll call him Jerkovic. Jerkovic's, uh, I was pretty impressed. He, he was as good as advertised, but he did make those turnover-worthy plays that, that, that he also had a reputation for coming in. 
Um, uh, I think David Bailey's good running back. Uh, clearly, Hunter Long's a good tight end. Uh, I thought the one touchdown he had, that was a big-time play by both guys. And Zay Flowers is the other one, and, and Flowers had been killing people. And he had two plays in this game. We already talked about one of them where they had him pinned on the sideline and he got loose and scored. Fortunately, that was called back. The other one was the one you mentioned where he was in, in isolation on Dorian Strong downfield. And um, Zay Flowers has been scoring on plays like that. And the play that Strong, you know, I, I don't want to put too much on – he just got here. He's a, he's a true freshman. I don't want to put too much on him early. Um if you go back to one of the Alabama games, it was Chris. It was that game where um, Tech got beat thirty-five to ten or something like that. The special teams were a mess, but Tech yeah. played really well yep. defensively. Chick Fil A kickoff game, twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Okay, so there was a play in that game where uh, Alabama passed across the middle line. I thought Kyle Fuller made a textbook. He was right there with the receiver as the ball came in. He he stretched across the receiver and knocked it away. And that's exactly what Strong did. It wasn't a crossing pattern. It, mm-hmm. it was downfield. But the timing and the athleticism, it reminded me of that play by Kyle Fuller. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. And that's an extremely difficult play to make. Um, it was like a deep post pa- uh, pattern. So, like, your back is to the cornerback, is to the quarterback as a corner. So you've really got to be able to read the receiver because you've got your back turned. And it's really difficult to make that play, and it's really difficult to make that play without getting called for pass interference. Yeah, yep. So, yeah, I would agree. I would certainly agree with that. I mean, he's played three games now for Virginia Tech at corner. And, you know, Jermaine Waller, who who the heck knows his status on a week-to-week basis at this point. But assuming Jermaine Waller can't play, I mean – do we think Dorian Strong is our best cornerback right now? I mean, I I, I would probably say so. Um, right. He, yeah. I, I think Tech can be fairly comfortable, you know, depending on Waller's status. I think they can be fairly comfortable with Armani Chapman and Dorian Strong playing at the corners. And, you know, just, just one more thing about that play. You see a guy make a play like that, and that's a natural football player. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, you know, and certainly Kyle Fuller fits that description, and so far Dorian Strong does too. Ken, it's great to have you with us. Uh, episode 142 of the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. We are breaking down Virginia Tech's defense, and then we're going to spend a good amount of time talking about Virginia Tech's offense because there was a lot to highlight from that side of the ball. Chris, Amari Barno, two tackles for loss and a half of a sack. What would you make of the season that Barno has had so far, and what kind of impact did he have on Saturday? You can see the raw talent. Um, he's certainly fast and athletic and got good acceleration coming off the edge. And he's got pretty good bend and all that. Like, like you could see the talent. Um, he's got to add strength. I think he can be a much more effective player. Obviously, he's still inexperienced in that position. So he can get a lot better just based off experience. But he can't do this during the season, of course, because you, you, your weightlifting time is limited during the season because you have to get ready for games. But as soon as the season ends, you know, he needs to eat his, his body weight in grams of protein every day and just live in that weight room and take big squat Fridays seriously because, you know, if he doesn't do any of that, then he's going to leave money on the table one day and he's that good of an athlete. So 
if 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 he follows that up with uh with work ethic in the weight room to get himself bigger and stronger, then you know I, I think he's a he's a very good fit at defensive end for Tech. Uh, six six two thirty five. If yep. you could see him get up around the around the two fifty range, mm-hmm. um, and you know the the one thing I saw out of out of him in this game that that I had not really seen before was more strength at the point of attack, um, and. There was one play where I, I think Tech got a uh, sack out of it, but I do remember that um, Barno got the offensive tackle on his heels and pushed him back into Jerkovic, pushed him back into the quarterback, and and that's a power play. Uh, so, but it may just be that he got the tackle's feet crossed over and, and got the advantage of him, but he was strong enough to force it. So, if I'm if I'm tapping Tierlink, I'm pulling that film up and I'm and I'm showing it to Barno and. You know, we're going over why it worked, and and I'm pointing out um, that was a great play by you. You powered the guy back into the quarterback, but if you add another 15 pounds of muscle, you can actually use him to knock the quarterback down next time. Right. Uh, did you read Brandon Patterson's article on I did, uh, I, the B, the BC preview? I did not get a chance to read that because I was at the oh, uh, Biltmore. Oh, that you were at the Biltmore. Well, Brandon said it's a habit for BC's offensive tackles to get pushed back into the quarterback, and that he expected Justice Reed and uh, not Amari Barno, but Emmanuel Beltmore. He expected them to actually have success getting pushed against the BC's offensive tackles because that's what everybody's doing this year. No so, kidding. See, yeah, see Brandon's a freaking genius, man. That's yeah, yeah. great to have him so, waiting for us. Exactly. So we have to take uh, we have to take that with a grain of salt. So when Amari Barno was pushing a BC offensive tackle in the backfield, everybody else has been too. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> All right, last thing on the defense before we step aside and transition to the offense. Linebackers. Dax Hollyfield and Rayshard Ashby combined for five tackles in the win against Boston College. Chris, is the production level from Ashby and Hollyfield lower this year because of the scheme change moving from Bud Foster to Justin Hamilton? Why have they not been as productive this year compared to previous seasons? Uh, Dax, uh, as far as Dax goes, I just... I think he's a very, very, very average football player, to put it bluntly, uh, Evan. And he didn't start this game, and I haven't looked at the snap counts or anything like that, but, you know, Tisdell played more than he did. I'm not sure how many tackles Tisdell had. Uh, Tisdell had eight, and Dax had three. And, and, you know, just to – again, I haven't looked at the snap counts either, but Dax didn't come in until late. He didn't come in until late. Well, I mean, if you recall, Tisdell started the first game of the season and played more than Dax. But then Tisdale missed the Duke game, the COVID-related issues, and they kind of they had to put they had to put Dax in. So I, I don't think Dax is the preferred guy at that position anymore. It's starting uh, to look that way. It's, yeah. it's starting to look that way that he is he is Tisdale's backup, and he's going to play maybe about a quarter of the snaps or something like that. Um, and and this is Evan. This is real difficult for us to talk about because we really like Dax, and and um, you know the Virginia Tech fans really like Dax, but. Uh, 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 I, th- I think that his game has has not evolved a whole lot since he's gotten here. Love his enthusiasm and all that, um, but uh, you know maybe he's a guy that finally, when he when he gets to his senior year, will uh, will really start to put things together. I just don't think he's there yet. Yeah, he's certainly not not there right now. And as far as Ashby goes, Ashby's one of those guys who just even in a year of not COVID, he sort of teeters on that brink of being 
out of shape. And this year when he missed all that time and the program shut down and they couldn't practice and blah, 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 like I, he's nowhere close to being in game condition, you know? And on top of that, there's a new scheme. He's playing deeper. Uh, you know, Tex linebackers, like their mic used to align maybe four yards off the line of scrimmage. And now they're aligning like five to seven yards off the line of scrimmage. So the alignment's a little bit different. He, he's, he's So he's got to travel for a longer distance to make tackles. Um, so it, it's just everything's different for him this year. So he's not in good shape. The defense is different for the guys in front of him. And I think for Rayshard Ashby, he's not a good athlete, and he's not tall and – you know, he he's I think everything has to, he's he's been really, really, really good for tech, but I think everything has to be in place for him to be really, really good. He's not gonna be one of those guys that just gets off the bus in any defensive system in in any situation and is gonna play great football. I think everything has to line up properly for him to pull, to play well, and that that's certainly not happening this year. I think I think that when you look at the guys on the Virginia Tech team, that uh, it appears that the, the linebacking crew and the and the change in scheme it has hurt them more than I think any other position on the team. And and Ashby, um, you know, he reminds me a little bit of uh, McCall Bakey from the from the early two thousands. There was there were years where McCall Bakey was a pretty good football player, but there was one year where he got too heavy. Two thousand three, re- will. Yep. I think so. Yeah, I, I was pulling up the rosters while you were talking. And in 2002, uh, let's see, Bakke was 5'10", 223. And in 2003, he was listed at 227. That's only a four-pound difference on the roster listing. But he looked different, and, and it, it really took something out of his ability. So there, there was just that line, and he went over it. And it looks like Ashby has gone over it. He's, he's an outstanding natural football player. But uh, I think the, the COVID stuff and something, I don't just think it's physical. I think something's in his head. Um, and so I think he's just kind of been knocked out of kilter. And, uh, you know, hopefully they can get it better as they go through the season. Because those two guys as, as a unit and, and really the linebackers overall need to be more productive. Well, I think what's in his head is the fact that he's never played a bad football game before until this year. And now he's... Yeah basically hasn't played well in all four games and that that's that's different and i i I don't know that i'd know how to handle that either if if i were him so uh and and so guys this isn't just us shooting our mouth off watching watching the game and saying oh he's not playing well grades prove it out going into saturday's game ashby was not ranked in the top 250 linebackers in the country by pff and that is just not rayshard ashby he's better than that couple of uh, final notes in the box score uh, defensively for Virginia Tech. Jamari Connor leads the team in tackles with 11. Also a half of a tackle for loss. Had a fumble recovery. Alan Tisdale, eight tackles. And we didn't touch a ton on Divine Diablo coming back in the secondary, but he did record five tackles. Um, hey, I, I got to interrupt here. I got to give Divine Diablo a shout out for that open field tackle of Zay Flowers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I tweeted, that's worth the price of admission, and I, I almost followed up with, but then again, there's nobody here. 
<laughs> right. Well, uh, exactly. <laughs> that would have been good. And Nobody thing, paid for this. <laughs> well, the thing about Zay Flowers is he averages what twenty or twenty-five yards per catch, or I think about twenty it, yards. It was per twenty. Catch. It was nineteen point yeah, yeah. three coming the t- in. The TV announcer said he averaged thirty-five yards a catch, and I and then, no. but then then they put his stats on, on the screen, and I'm like, none of you guys can do math because that that's not <laughs> at, at any rate. But Tech held him to fifty-seven yards on seven catches. You know, wow. o- outside of that play where. He scored a touchdown, but they called it back, right? They called it back because he stepped out of bounds. Tech did a good job tackling him when he caught those short passes. Uh, uh, Tisdale did it one time. I, I don't remember if it was actually the running back or Zay Flowers who we tackled. Tisdale made a great open field tackle, but that was a play where Justice Reed got called for roughing the passer on just a terrible call. And BC yeah. went down the field and, and, and scored a touchdown after that. Uh, if you watch Diablo play in this game, and he mentioned this in the post game, you actually saw Diablo chasing around the the BC tight end. Oh goodness, what's what's his name? Uh, Hunter Long. Hunter, Hunter Long. Long. Yeah, he was going in motion with Hunter Long and following Hunter Long wherever he went. That, that not necessarily on every play, but if you go back and watch the tape, you'll notice it. And I don't recall Virginia Tech ever doing that defensively before, where one of the safeties would actually change spots in the field and go in motion with an opposing wide receiver. That was completely new. And he did a good job of it. Uh, four, four catches for 53 yards. And, you know, this was a guy who came into the game, I believe, had caught 31 passes and, and is definitely an NFL tight end. So that's an NFL audition for Diablo right there against an NFL player and he did well and it's particularly impressive because he was able to do it having missed the last two weeks you know I don't know how much he was able to practice this past week I don't think he was one of those guys who just came back the day before the game I think he was able to practice for you know at least most of the week but you know for 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 missing two straight games and, and being rusty to a certain extent and going up against a great player he did a really good job Something I'd be interested in knowing if if that was an in-game adjustment because uh, I noticed early on that uh, they threw the ball to Hunter Long over on the sideline, and he was pretty wide open. And in watching the replay, Tisdale, Alan Tisdale was a little little slow on on picking up on Hunter and where he was. And I wonder if that's something Justin Hamilton saw early and then made an adjustment. It'd be interesting to get that question answered. Yeah, for sure. We just spent over a half hour talking about the defense. Certainly a lot better than it was against North Carolina, holding Boston College to just 14 points and forcing five turnovers. We're going to step aside for a break, but when we come back, we talk about Hendon Hooker and how his numbers were so impressive that it ties in Michael Vick. That's all coming up on episode 142 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back. Episode 142 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It is great to have you with us. We've got Will Stewart, Chris Coleman. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. We spent over a half hour talking about the defense, and there is still a lot to talk about 
about the offense and the job they did in the 40-14 to win over Boston College on Saturday. And we start with Hendon Hooker, who made his first start of the season. Hooker, 111 passing yards, 164 rushing yards, four total touchdowns. Hooker, the first Virginia Tech quarterback to rush for over 150 yards since Michael Vick did it against Boston College in 2000. Will, was this the best start of Hendon Hooker's career at Virginia Tech? Hmm. Uh, statistically, I'm not sure, but impact on the game uh, could be. Uh, you know, Chris wrote about uh, Hooker playing with an injury, I think it was last year, right, Chris? Yeah, that's right. Um, and as good as he was last year, if he had if he had a lingering shoulder issue, that's that's going to affect everything, including his running. Um, you know, just stream of consciousness here. First of all, I was surprised that Braxton Burmeister didn't play at all. Um, I, I thought the plan would be to rotate him in the way Hendon Hooker played. Why would you? Um, he was outstanding in the running game. He was more physical on a couple of different occasions than we've seen him. One of them, of course, was running over the linebacker at the goal line. He put his shoulder down and, and plowed into the end zone. Um, nobody's going to confuse him with Quincy Patterson, but you know that, that was a physical run. There was another play where he escaped the pass rush, and if you watch the replay, a, a BC defender has his jersey, a handful of his jersey, and he still broke away from that. So I saw... You know, we, we've said this over and over and over that Braxton Burmeister was rumored to be better in the running game and uh, Hendon in the passing game. I I saw an outstanding management of the rushing game by uh, by a Hendon Hooker, not just running the football himself, but knowing when to hand off and when not to. And he, Chris, he was making those reads lightning fast. I was really impressed. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I would say. Let me look at his grades. Yeah, I would say that's the best game of his career. Now, he was the highest grader for Tech's offense, 91.1. And PFF, the way they grade things, they don't necessarily look at the result of the play. <laughs> like, if Hendon Hooker throws a pass and it's incomplete, but it's not his fault, let's say it was dropped, or let's say it's like the one that, that uh, he completed to James Mitchell that got wiped out for offensive pass interference. You know, if the quarterback makes the right decision and has the right technique, he gets a positive grade, right? And that goes for all positions. Uh, the fact that Hooker graded out at a 91.1 says, says that, you know, not only did he have a big impact on the game, but he was, he was a good decision maker throughout the course of the game, too. So, yeah, I would actually probably say that was the best game of his career. I, I think uh, – I'm sure it was the highest grading game of his career. Let me uh, – let me look that up. Uh, 2019. It was, it was certainly the high. He did well against North Carolina. Uh, it doesn't look like I can uh, go back to last season right now. Uh, so, uh, you know, in the passing amount, I'll, I'll talk while you take time. Uh, actually, uh, uh, yes, th this was the highest grading game of his career ahead of last year's Rhode Island game. But, you know, that's Rhode Island. Yeah, who cares? Right? Yeah, um, and he, he graded out really well against UNC last year, too, but only played 34 snaps because of that injury. So, yeah, best game of his career in, in all phases, I think. Not necessarily in the passing stats and number of yards, but uh, just the, his overall decision-making process, I think, was top-notch. The only 
two things I can remember that maybe he two plays he didn't do well was one of them was, uh, and I don't remember the details of this play. I just remember he threw an incompletion. It wasn't even close. And the announcers said, you know, he, he seemed to be fooled on that one. And the other one was, so early in the game, uh, I think one of the hardest passes for a quarterback to throw is when a receiver is running uh, parallel to the line of scrimmage, full speed. And you're not, you're even not throwing it to him directly ahead. You're kind of throwing it out to the side a little bit. He made a beautiful throw to, I think, James Mitchell early in the, in the game. And then there was another instance later where he had Khalil Herbert um, coming out of the backfield. And, and, and I think Hendon got excited and threw it too hard and slightly behind right. Herbert. And, uh, but man, other than that, like the, the, the last touchdown where he had the spin move at the five yard line, you know, and, and, just a really impressive outing. Eleven of fifteen in the passing game, by the way. By the way, for 111 yards. Um, if Virginia Tech's receiving core was at 100 um, percent, if they had Payute to stretch people downfield, um, Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson have, have had trouble getting separation. If if the receiving core was having a good year, who knows what the potential for this offense would be? Because they're they're clicking on all cylinders. Uh, even without being what I would call fully optimized at, at all positions. There was an article this morning on ESPN that uh, I think it listed Herbert as the number two running back in the country so far and Fuente number two for coach of the year and all that. But it also listed the top five offenses in the country and included Virginia Tech. Number three. Yep. Number three. Right. And so uh, let's let's what Virginia Tech is doing offensively has caught the eye of of the national people at this point. I don't remember who wrote that article. Uh, I also want to throw in right now. I'd like to apologize to Dax Holyfield because I'm looking at defensive grades for the Boston College game, and he's our second highest grader. With oh a my 70, goodness! Which is a, with 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 a, a seventy three point eight, which is one of the best games of his career. <laughs> All right, so Evan, you got to go back and edit that out later. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, don't uh, do that. But but like. Here are, here are Dax's grades so far this year. Uh, against NC State, a 62. Against Duke, a 50. Against North Carolina, a 35. And then against Boston College, a 73.8. So a huge, huge game by his standards. Uh, last year, his, his average grade was a 63.6, which is completely mediocre, which is uh, might be the word I used to describe him earlier. But uh, yeah, so Saturday night was actually one of the better games of his career, but still his overall grade this year of a 50.3 is down 13 points from what it was last year. All right. So, so let's bring it back to the offense. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, Virginia Tech in terms of yards per play is, let me count, number seven in the country. Um, in terms of yards per game, Virginia Tech is number 14 in the country. Um, so, you know, to your, to your point, Evan, and, and as, you know, sometimes it's, it's talent. Alabama's offense is really good this year. Clemson, of course, is really good. North Carolina is really good. I think in the case of Virginia Tech, they got some guys who can seriously play, like Hendon Hooker's pretty good, Khalil Herbert is I think calling him the second best second best running back in the nation is not a stretch, um, and the tight ends are solid. The wide receiving core is is uh, in not having one of their best years, but it's the offensive line. And Evan, I'm teeing you up. It is the offensive line. This has got to be one of the best offensive lines in the country, if not the best. Well, that transitions into my next question because yet again, I mentioned it in the open. I'll bring it up again. 
Virginia Tech runs for over 300 yards as a team um, against the Boston College Eagles on Saturday. Will, what is the bigger story so far this season? Is it the offensive line or is it the running backs? Wow, that's that's an excellent question. And, and let gonna... me let me follow up real quick too. Who deserves more credit for the success of the running game? Is it the offensive line or is it the running backs? So you're 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 hitting upon something that I'm actually going to write about in my article today, and I'm going to dodge the question by saying that it's the combination. <laughs> it's the combination. Um, you know, and it, if you look at some of the great Virginia Tech running backs of the past, the last time Virginia Tech had a great running back paired with a great offensive line was probably the 2000 season, maybe 2003. You know, 2000 would have been uh, Lee Suggs. Mm-hmm. Um, in 02, they had a pretty good offensive line with uh, Suggs and Jones. And then by 2003, they still had a good offensive line. They had Kevin Jones running behind it. And that is a combination of uh, talented running back and good offensive line. Uh, some of the other guys they've had running for him. Uh, I, if, if you pinned me down and said, pick one Virginia tech running back from history, my guy would be Ryan Williams at his peak uninjured. Um, and he never the, the offensive lines he ran behind were nothing like this. Um, so you, you look at Khalil Herbert and he's got, he's got 597 yards, call it 600 yards after four games. That's an 1,800-yard regular season in a normal season. And, uh, you know, we can go look it up, but I think the Tech record is 1,700 yards, and that probably includes a bowl game and probably includes an ACC championship game, I think, for David Wilson. So this is a historic rushing attack, and it is not just the offensive line, because I think if you take this offensive line and you pair it with last year's running backs, it's not as productive. I think Khalil Herbert's vision is is Ryan Williams level, um, maybe Lee Suggs level. He he had pretty good vision too. Um, so I just Evan the the number of times this happens game after game, um, the run is stuffed at the point of attack, but the offensive line is doing such a good job blocking that Herbert can bounce, look around, and either run around the corner, which he is incredibly fast at. He really gets around the corner quick or find another hole somewhere else. In the past, you could have a great running back like Ryan Williams. He hits the line and then there's no, if it's stuffed, there's nowhere else to go. So it is the combination of a guy who's an outstanding running back and an offensive line that just is, is one of the best in at least 20 years. Yeah. um, I I would say that's accurate. I think, Remember how some people say like Emmett Smith is overrated because the Cowboys offensive line is so good. But in in reality, if you go back and watch Emmett Smith play, his vision and his balance and all that stuff was just impeccable. Like the offensive line can routinely block well enough for a 10 yard gain, but it's not, it's kind of up to that running back to turn it into a 50 yard gain. Right. And uh, so it takes both. Like I think, I think Emmett Smith and, and the Cowboys offensive line, they both made each other look better. And a, a running back can make an offensive line look better. Just like an offensive line can make a running back look better. Um, Virginia tech's 2008 offensive line was not very good at blocking, but yet Brandon Orr rushed for 1100 yards and, if you go back that Clemson game when he rushed for over 200 yards, his jump cut was so ex- 
so impressive that he was just like a defensive tackle would get penetration in the backfield and Brandon Orr would just jump cut around him and then just run through the vacated hole, right? That wasn't necessarily good blocking. In fact, it wasn't good blocking. It was just Brandon Orr just being able to deal with an, with an offensive line that, that wasn't that great. So it can go both ways, man. And, and uh, you're, you're, like Will said, Virginia Tech has had good offensive lines with, with average running backs and they've had and and it's been vice versa. You, you know, they've had really good running backs with average offensive lines, but it's been a long, long, long time since they've had both. And when you have both, the result can be record setting, and, and that's what we're seeing this year. Two interesting stats that were pointed out by uh, David Hale over the weekend. Virginia Tech, 300-yard rushing games from 2011 to 2019. They had three. Virginia Tech, 300 yard rushing games in 2020, three. Uh huh. And the other very interesting stat Khalil Herbert, 962 all purpose yards in four games this year. That is 180 yards more than the number two player in FBS. That's UTSA's Sincere McCormick, who's played in six games. But at least he's sincere. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, yeah, rushing offense, Virginia Tech is number two in the country behind an option team, Air Force, and ahead of an option team, Army. And number four is an option team, Georgia Southern. And number five is Appalachian State. So the Hokies are at 312 yards a game. And App State, which I think runs a, a traditional offense, is at 270. So they're, they're 40 yards behind Virginia Tech. And if you drill down into the individual stats, um, Unfortunately, I don't remember last week's uh, individual rushing yards per game. I know that Khalil Herbert was, I think, 150-something, and there was somebody kind of close to him. This week, it's not close. Herbert's 148 yards a game, and Brees Hall at Iowa State is 133 yards a game. So he's 15 yards behind Herbert, and it just keeps going on and on and on. Herbert just keeps doing it. We're four games in, and uh, like I said, he is on a record record pace if you look up the uh, uh let's see rushing yards um my shorts gain rushing okay these are team records so we'll get back to that in a second um he's on an 1800 yard course yeah and the, the impressive thing is he hasn't done it against like an fcs opponent right like virginia tech doesn't play an fcs team this year like clemson started out against the citadel right florida state played jacksonville state um you know, there's still some of those games going on this year. Um, the the worst team on paper that Virginia Tech will face is Liberty, and Liberty just beat Syracuse by, what, three touchdowns? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm not saying Virginia Tech has not played a great rushing defense yet. I mean, BC is solid, but they're not great. And, in fact, you know, if you, if you, if you look at uh, – I don't know if you look at NC State, you know, they're, they're kind of mediocre at it. Duke's mediocre. UNC – UNC is still kind of soft defensively, you know, no matter what, what, whatever hype they're getting, they're still soft defensively, in my opinion. But at the same time, you know, it's not like Tech is playing like some of those old school Marshall teams that would score 60 points, but then give up 40 a game. It's not like they're playing uh, an FCS opponent. They're doing this against ACC level competition, which is pretty impressive. So uh, Ryan Williams holds the, Single season record with 1,655 yards in 2009. Uh, nope, uh, David Wilson. 
You know, it's funny, Chris. I'm sitting here looking at the record book on Hokiesports.com. I thought you were right, and it says 2011 David Wilson, 1,627 uh, yards. They're, they're not counting bowl games, man. Remember? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but this, isn't, this is a listing. I'm not going to argue with it because I think you're right. So I'm actually taking out the, the paper um, media guide. So I'll let you guys chat while I look it up. And well, see what's I'm up. looking it up right now. Uh, 1,709 yards for David Wilson in 2011. So what way are you getting to that? Though? I just Googled David Wilson college sports <laughs> reference. All right, then. Uh, uh, the college sports reference, actually the sports reference website is great, but when you want to look up a college player, you just, you just Google his name and then do college sports reference and it'll take you straight to his page with his career stats. All right, so you are correct. If you if you look in the Virginia Tech media guide on page one hundred and two, it says David Wilson one thousand seven hundred and nine yards. So uh, keep an eye on that, folks. I'll just put so, it that way. You know the, these stats that you know Herbert's putting up. We just you know putting in perspective how good he's been this year, especially on a national level compared to others. He's also averaging nine point seven yards a carry, which is almost a first down every time he touches the football. But I think here's the the burning question: Can Khalil Herbert keep up this pace the entire season? Hmm. Uh, we had a request from one of our readers to keep saying that we don't think Virginia Tech can keep running for three hundred yards. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, so the reverse mojo, I believe they call that. Um, I, don't, I don't know, Evan. I think at this point all bets are off because everybody knows Virginia Tech's going to run the football, and yet they still keep doing it. Chris, what what stout defenses are left on Virginia Tech's schedule? There's Clemson, and who else? Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pitt, Pitt's got a good uh, good defensive line for sure. But, um, you know, I look at next week's opponents, Wake Forest, and they haven't been good at stopping the run. And then they played Louisville the week after that, and Louisville hasn't hasn't been a very good defense. And then who's after Louisville? Liberty? Who uh, I think Liberty's in yeah. there somewhere. I don't and, have the schedule and, in front of me. And I, you know, I think you know Liberty's a, a solid football team this year, but they're still not going to have the horses to stop Virginia Tech's running game. So, so yeah, for the time being, I think Virginia Tech's going to continue to have a lot of success running the football. Um, I, so I, I just, yeah, so I another. Just, Another Sorry. thing I, I, I neglected to mention was um, a lot of uh, Hen and Hooker's success running the football. There were plays where I could see anywhere from one, and I'm not exaggerating, one to four guys focusing on Khalil Herbert, and that opened things up big for Hen and Hooker. Yeah. yeah. And just imagine if Virginia Tech had a consistent passing game. I know Hooker was 11 of 15, but it was for like 111 yards or something like that. Yes, so correct. the passing game is not clicking right now. Virginia Tech lacks depth at wide receiver, and you know Trey Turner got knocked out after, I think, 11 or 12 plays. Let's see, yeah, 11 plays the, the other night. So there's not a lot of depth there. And it's still, so it's really amazing that, that the running game is as good as it is because if I was playing against Virginia Tech, you know, I would just have eight, as many guys in the box as I could, man. I, I'd Run play man, every I'd, play. Yeah, I'd play man coverage. Um, James James Mitchell's a handful, but the wide receivers aren't getting separation, so I'd, I'd stack the box and play man coverage. Yeah, and I, I like I don't know that 
even if Wake Forest did that, I don't think they necessarily have the defensive personnel to pull it off because I don't think they can hang with James Mitchell and Trey Turner and Tavion in man coverage. But there will be there will be somebody this year who is able to do that. I just don't know who it's going to be at this point. So Evan, um, let's uh, uh, here, here's the rundown of, of rushing defenses in the ACC, and this is national rank. Okay, out of 77 teams, because at this point we've only had 77 teams play. And oh, by the way, when the, when the Big Ten finally joins the fray, um, until they and the and the Pac-12 and their and, and other conferences, until they accumulate more than one or two games, it's going to start throwing some of these national stats off. So. Anyway, Pittsburgh is actually the number one rushing defense in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, Clemson's number 11. Tech doesn't play Notre Dame. Virginia and Miami are 31 and 32. Okay. But then you run into North Carolina, NC State, and Duke are 38, 39, and 40. Not that far behind Virginia and Miami. And Tech ran the ball successfully against all three of those teams. All right. And I'll give you the – oh, sorry, Will, are you – was no, go ahead. Uh, Louisville's after that at 49, and uh, um, so, I'll, so I'll, that's I'll, kind of the rundown. I'll give you the advanced stats, the PFF rush rush defense grades. Right. Um, Clemson is number one in the ACC with a 91.9. Pitt is number two with a 91.4. Then there's a <laughs> then there's a huge drop-off. Miami's number three, 71.7. Then there's Georgia Tech. Then there's Virginia. Boston College is actually number six. So to me, like Miami, Virginia, Boston College, they're all kind of the same level. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then after that, there's another drop off again. Like Louisville's number eight (laughs) at 64.6. NC State is right behind them. NC State's about the same level as Louisville. Wake Forest is well behind both of those. That's that's another drop off. They're they're at 58.7. the three worst teams in the league in rush defense are Duke, Virginia Tech, and North Carolina. And the like Duke and North Carolina have one thing in common. They've both played Virginia Tech, right? Uh-huh. True. Yeah. Yeah. And then Virginia Tech, obviously, you know, we know their issues and they, they've struggled to stop the run and everything like that. But that's how the grades are. So f- just from a pure grading standpoint, I mean, Wake Forest being 10th, I mean – with a with a run defense grade of fifty eight point seven, that's below average. It so, just d- doesn't seem like Virginia Tech's going to have that much trouble coming up. So all this discussion was was triggered by the question, you know, do you think that Khalil Herbert can keep it up? And um, if you look at the team stats from the other day, the the one thing I'll be keeping an eye on is Hooker and Herbert both ran the ball eighteen times. Um, Hooker averaged nine point one. Herbert averaged seven point nine. Um, you you can. First of all, I don't know that I want to see Hendon Hooker running the football 18 times a game. I don't, I don't know Especially that. Especially not that. in the fourth quarter when you're up by three touchdowns. Let's not do that anymore. Yeah, and fans, if you're wondering what point they had to say about that, he just didn't feel the game was in the bag, and that's why he left his starters in. So, um, the, so can Khalil Herbert keep it up? Um, I would say that now that defensive coordinators are watching Hendon Hooker run the football, it's going to complicate things even more and make it even more likely that Herbert can keep it up. That's the way I'll answer that question. I think it's a really great discussion to wrap things up. I mean, there was so much good that came from a 40-14 to win. 
We highlighted the defense, the players that returned, like Divine Diablo and Breon Murray, uh, that had a big impact. The emergence of Amari Barno, Hendon Hooker throwing his name into a stat with Michael Vick. Um, again, 164 rushing yards on the ground. No Tech quarterback has done that since Michael Vick did it, ironically, against Boston College in 2000. There was actually a very funny part of that broadcast. I don't know how closely you guys were listening, but uh, you had Tim Hasselbeck as the analyst who <laughs> played for Boston College in that 1999 game that sent Virginia uh. Tech officially to the national championship. And uh, when that stat came up, he started chuckling. He's like, oh, I remember that game when Vic ran for over 150 yards, and I wish I wasn't one year old uh, when that happened because I'm sure that was a very fun Virginia Tech football memory back in 2000. All right, so um, let's let's take a real quick look at the schedule. At, at Wake um, and at Louisville, then Liberty – and so that should be a pretty good three-game stretch for Virginia Tech. Now, they shouldn't take anybody lightly, um, of course. Uh, so uh, I kind of like uh, their odds for, uh, um, you know, Virginia Tech's 3-1. and one. It's a good 3-1, and one, and, and I like their chances for getting the 6-1 to one before I play. I, th- I think Miami's next after that. Yep. All right. Well, that'll just about do it for Episode 142 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're going to have our preview podcast of Wake Forest coming later in the week, and we hope you can join us for that. Uh, One thing that we'll talk about actually at the beginning of that podcast that kind of ran out of time for today, but we're going to talk a little bit more about Virginia Tech's receivers, um, the job they're doing in the running game blocking. But one stat that I found interesting in prep for this that we just kind of ran out of time for, we'll talk about Thursday, Trey Turner, just eight receptions um, so far. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the week. Um, Gentlemen, any closing thoughts? We'll start with you. Uh, yes, we hope to be back in studio, back on set for Thursday's podcast. Um, as far as the, the audio-only stuff, um, you know, we're trying to get to. Clearly, we've we've got down doing an audio-only podcast. I think it sounded great the other day, and it'll probably sound good today. Um, we're trying to add video in when we do these remote things, and and we've discovered that Chris Coleman's computer just does not want to play with his camera. And yeah, it, it completely locks up uh, my computer. And so I think I have to get a new uh, new webcam. Is probably going to be the result of this. Well, it's it's an off brand um, webcam because you know Logitech is what I would prefer. And yeah, good luck finding webcams and, and microphones right now because of what's going on with COVID. Everybody's just buying those things up. So we're going to keep keep working on that. And uh, while while we figure out what to do, if we want to order a new uh, webcam or, or whatever for Chris. Um, I think we'll be uh, back on the set on Thursday. That's our plan. Um, So look for us then. And my final thought is I want to give a shout out to Evan Fares. I don't think your average Virginia Tech fan knows he even exists. He's a graduate transfer wide receiver from Kansas who has not caught a single pass this year. I think he's only been targeted once. But he has absolutely replaced Damon Hazleton in terms of run blocking. His run blocking grade of 80.3 is second on the team, only behind Christian Derisaw. Wow. And, yeah, so, uh, and he he threw a huge block out there in the open field for uh, Khalil Herbert on that 57-yard run the other night. Yes. He's, and, he's, not, he's number 14, just like Hazleton. I was going to say, so, he, even, he even not only did he, take, did he take Hazleton's role, but he took his number, too. Yep. 
you know, I got excited there for a moment when I heard Evan and then uh, but no, there's no, no, no question that Evan Fares deserves that shout out and uh, we'll bring him up. We're going to talk about the receiving core actually on Thursday, things that Will and Chris would like to see Virginia Tech improve upon from the Boston College game to the Wake Forest game. And of course, an in-depth look at the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Last question, Chris Coleman, what's coming up on TechSideline.com this week? I know it's another busy week. Lots of things. Uh, gosh, Brandon Patterson has already sent his article, so I'll edit that and it'll be posted tomorrow. I'll do my inside the numbers for Wednesday. We'll have a lot of content from, uh, Jake Lyman and Corey Van Dyke and, and will, I assume we'll have his Monday thoughts this afternoon. And I just covered the first part of the week. That's not even start. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the second part of the week on Thursday. <laughs> That is what we call a great tease. Absolutely love it. Uh, great time to come uh, part of the Tech Sideline family um, at TechSideline.com. All right, gentlemen, another great show. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, looking forward to doing it again on Thursday. All right, appreciate it. Thanks, All so right, that'll do it for us, episode 142 of the Tech Sideline podcast. For our general manager and founder, Will Stewart, our managing editor, Chris Coleman. My name is Evan Hughes, proud podcast host of the Tech Sideline podcast. Saying so long. Thanks so much for listening to episode 142 of the Tech Sideline podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you on Thursday.